This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury, and this is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM. As usual, I'm joined by my two friends. I've got Arif Ruse. He's the man with the news. Say hello, Arif. Hello, Richard. Hello, Daniel. Hello, everybody. And of course, over there is Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my with a new microphone. Hi, Daniel. Hello, everybody. And welcome <laughs> to... Cruise control. <laughs> and, and you know, Richard, I'm hoping that this lockdown will end and then I can introduce you to more friends because you said you only have two friends. That's true. Me and yeah. Arif, so, you know. Not only has he got a new microphone, but he's got a new voice by the sounds of things and, and potentially a new sense of humor. Anyway, uh, a show in car part at car parts. Three parts, uh, starting off with uh, some news about the Schumacher documentary, a bit of a pit stop later on, and then looking at the used car review. It's a 2011 Volkswagen Passat. At 1.8 TSI. Correct or not? Correct. Right. Uh, let's talk about Michael Schumacher for a while then. Uh, take it away, Arif. I don't know about you guys, but it feels like everybody is suddenly into F1. Are they? Because of all the crashes. <laughs> <laughs> Might be because of that drive to survive, uh, you know, Netflix show as well. Mm. It's very dramatic these days. And um, what better way to introduce more people into the F1 world than to introduce them to Michael Schumacher? Michael Schumacher, obviously, before Lewis Hamilton did his 92 or 93 wins, he was the world's greatest F1 driver. And apparently, mm. uh, there's this new documentary launching on Netflix on September 15th is the only film to be supported by Michael Schumacher's family. Uh, so the, the film will apparently include his family members like Ralph Schumacher, which was, of course, drove BMW back then in Formula mm. One as well. His son, Mick Schumacher, who drives for Haas as well. Apparently includes uh, David Coulthard, Sebastian Vettel, his former Ferrari boss is Jean Todt. And um, I guess what's interesting about Michael Schumacher is, of course, if you remember, he was quite a, uh, an aggressive driver and he was a very instinctive driver. And that's what made him interesting to watch as you know, an F1 fan, right? The thing is about watching Michael Schumacher, it, it was literally like watching a machine drive a car, yeah. a, a Terminator almost uh, drive a car. He, flawless to a point, you know? Yes. Not that he wasn't exciting, but he, he felt very robotic. Yeah. But a yeah. fantastic driver, nonetheless. You know, during his career, 306 races in total, 91 wins, uh, second best now to Lewis Hamilton. But he drove for Jordan, Benetton, Ferrari, and even Mercedes as well. And of course, in the, in the past, throughout his career, him being on the podium almost all the time, he was always, you know, fighting it out with somebody like Mika Hakkinen or... Damon Hill or something like that. I'm guessing less so with Damon Hill, but... You know, his career has been littered with a lot of racing incidents and controversies. Mm. So this new Netflix documentary, again, is the only film that is apparently supported by his family. Would be quite an interesting watch and something that I would love for everybody to watch as well, particularly because he's an interesting guy. Mm. Uh, he had that skiing accident in, back in 2013. He's not been seen in public since then, but it would be a great insight to see what sort of character he was when he was the world's greatest racing driver. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's talk about some cars. Mm, yeah, yes. expensive ones. Yeah, we have two new million ringgit cars uh, up for sale in Malaysia. One of them comes from your motherland, Richard. Oh, hello. Would you like a cup of tea? Uh, Aston Martin Valhalla is the new car. Yeah, oh. the, the thing is, I have, to, I, have to, I have to interrupt you. Here we go. Aston, Here Aston we Martin, go. British product. 
Valhalla, not British name. <laughs> yeah, I was ju- I was just gonna say exactly that. <laughs> What's with the name? <laughs> where where is what is Valhalla? It is uh, Norwegian, Swedish, from Denmark. It, it's the uh, heaven of the Vikings. Exactly, oh, right. exactly, right. yes. Well, you could say that, you know, the Vikings conquered England those years ago, in a way. <laughs> <laughs> Me and you are going to have a very long talk after this. <laughs> about cars? About history lessons. <laughs> uh, but anyway, there's Aston Martin Valhalla. As you can see, it's absolutely gorgeous, right? It's a very mm. dramatic design. Very, very dramatic. It's almost a Le Mans car, like, in its shape. Very yeah. wide, very low. It's essentially a hybrid hypercar. And um, it's a result of Aston Martin's Formula One involvement. And it has a 4-liter twin-turbo V8, which apparently comes from Mercedes, two electric motors, almost a 1,000 newton meters of torque and horsepower, and a full EV mode, so you can slip past through the city without looking like an idiot. Um, This car, if you are interested in buying one in Malaysia, it will be in your private airport hangar for at least 3.5 million ringgit without taxes, and two have already been sold. What? There's three left now. (laughs) Uh, Well, that was the press release sent out. Actually, now another one has been sold. Daniel, I thought you were just buying a microphone. I didn't realize you were, you know, plumbing up for three point five well, million you, ringgit. You know, I've new... joined politics, so it's easy. Oh, I see. New voice, new money. Yes, that's yes, it. Yes, yes. Wow. <laughs> All those sponsorship deals coming in now. Plenty, plenty. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's also another very special car that's come through uh, the car launches in the past week, and it is the Porsche 911 Targa 4S Heritage Design Edition. What it is, is a 911 with a retro look and feel. Uh, it's a special edition officially done by Porsche in Germany. It was done one year ago, but it's finally been brought over by Sandabi Auto Corporation, SDAC. It's a Targa 4S, which somehow I think about the 1970s 911. I always think about a Targa. And the paint is called Cherry Metallic. It's red. And you can also get it in a color called Crayon. Crayon? What color is Crayon? Well, crayons come in a lot of colors. but that, That's what I was thinking, right? According to Porsche, it's just a flat gray. Oh. Yeah. Um, how exciting, isn't it? So maybe when your crayons get mashed up, they all become flat gray. I'm looking at the colors for crayon now on Porsches, and it's kind of, yeah, it's, it, oh. I think what Audi calls that color is Nardo Gray. Something like that, correct. It's just like off-white. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> it's just off. I'll, it's just off, yeah. I'll go with the cherry red, thanks. Mm. It's a gorgeous color. Uh, if you like the red on the outside, you will also like the cream and red interior on the inside, which is, I think, quite tasteful. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very... 1950s 1960s home interior you have a little bit of gold here a little bit of um different colored sofas it's classy i don't know about that it is it is it's even got you know the trims like the targa and the 911 logo um Mm. that's painted in gold okay maybe maybe not so classy but you know (laughs) not too bad i I like it i like the look of it for sure it looks very special for sure right Mm. daniel you're very quiet why 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 are you talking this gold thing doesn't do it for me like (laughs) ah right yes i'm I'm not taken by this gold trim and everything else but the the uh the red and the uh red and white is gorgeous you know it reminds me of something really off the 60s you know yeah yeah 
the the old classic air cool Porsches. But again, again, you know, it's private taste, personal interest, you know, whatever. If you got the money, who's going to comment? You know, whether you want some gold trimming or not. Actually, on, on the on your website, Daniel, one of the pictures that you've got where you're kind of uh, highlighting the interior and the uh, Targa logo, right. um, I could almost be looking at a, a boat interior. It's got that vibe to it. Yes, you're right. So you guys think it's special enough? Yeah. How much is it? 1.7 million ringgit. Oh, half the price of the Aston Martin? Half the price of the Aston Martin, yeah. It's a good thing that you think it looks special because it is about 30 to 40% more expensive than the regular Porsche 911. So yep. There'll still be takers. This car will be sold out even before we finish the show, I think. But uh, moving on to the next car, which I think is a little bit more relevant to the rest of us, to some of us, a shrinking number of us. Keep going, keep going, because it's still not with us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's a Mercedes Benz E Class. I don't think, you know, unless we are Richard's pay grade. No, I don't think. Hey, please. <laughs> this new Mercedes Benz E Class was uh, first unveiled in March 2020, but, you know, thanks to uh, the pandemic and, and the resulting lockdown, 16 months later, it's finally hit our showrooms in, what is it, August 2021 now. And I don't know about you guys, but to me, the facelift makes it look even more luxurious and even more stylish than ever. It almost looks like a completely new car. Mm. Uh, it's got the new front end. It's got the S-Class trapezoidal uh, rear lights, new wheels, new engines, new interior trims and pieces, and the new Mercedes-Benz MBUX dual screen setup. Inside the car as well, you have a new steering wheel with uh, touch-sensitive buttons and a hand detection system. Because back then, when you turn on like your auto cruise control, you could technically leave your pinky finger on the wheel and it will think that you're still paying attention to the road. This new hand detection system apparently comes from the same technology as a mobile phone, where you actually have to you know, put some input to let the car know that you're there. Mm -hmm. So you can't just sit there and sleep anymore. Which is a very, very good thing. True. Well, yes, yes. <laughs> What's with the kind of snake skin looking finish on some of the bits inside? Oh, that's, that's similar to even uh, previous models. They had that variant was uh, quite yeah. common with Mercedes-Benz. Yes. Oh, it's it? actually a wood trim, but the grain looks like a zebra-ish. Yeah, it's a very strange. Okay, just curious. Strangely stylish, like a, like a zebra coat. Mm. Yes, something like that. In terms of standard equipment, the, the Malaysian version gets some pretty good ones to start with. One of them is Active Brake Assist. Of course, a lot of premium cars have that now. That's pedestrian detection, all that fancy stuff. But they have this new thing called the Urban Guard Protection System, which includes stuff like if your car gets stolen, the car will start with visual and audible alerts, external alerts. So I guess if somebody steals your car, they'll be driving around with the horns blaring and the lights blinking and all that stuff. So you might know. Oh, dear. But say you park on the outside of Bangsa shopping center illegally mm -hmm. and you pop inside somewhere and somebody hits your car or if somebody wants to tow your car, you will know about it because the car will let you know through the Mercedes Me phone app, which alerts you if somebody moves your car or hits it. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, quite a good idea. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, there'll be two models launched. One of them is an E200 Avangard. The other one is an E300 AMG line. Uh, both of them get the two liter turbo four cylinder engines with Mercedes a 9G Tronic gearbox. The 200 gets a detuned engine and artificial leather. Nothing really else, but step up to the 300, which costs about 375,000 ringgit. That gets the regular tune, 258 horsepower, genuine leather with semi-autonomous capabilities so that it could drive itself. And weirdly, you'll find this interesting. They've only offered this car in two color options, gray metallic 
or high tech silver. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, guys, you must also consider this. Maybe they're not telling us, but maybe there's a shortage. Oh. This is true. With factories overseas having mm. issues, parts issues. Mm. Probably this is only what they got for now. I don't blame them because at least they're making an effort to bring the vehicle in. Yep. And in another few months or whatever, the other colors will come in because there's all kinds of shortages, not only just a chip manufacturing, you know, because if a paint supplier has a COVID-19 issue and he shut his factory, you don't get the paint going to the factory to produce the That's cars, right. you know? Yeah, that is yeah. true. And all Thank of those you. things have led to, what is it, the 16-month delay since the car was launched. Mm, exactly. So, wow. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Two color options, gray metallic or high-tech silver. Yep. Sound vastly different, don't they? <laughs> um, on that note, should we take a short break? Yep. Yep. Ladies and gents, you are tuned into Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM. When we come back, we'll be talking a little bit about electric vehicles and how they might be needed for delivery vans and for ride hailing. Stay tuned. We'll be right back here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM. I'm Rich Bradbury. We're into part two, the pit stop here on BFM with Daniel Fernandez and Arif Ruse, of course, uh, talking a little bit now about electric vehicles. Uh, Arif, tell us what you want to talk about. Uh, recently, the European Federation for Transport and Environment, which are a group of NGOs campaigning for you know cleaner transport in general, uh, these are the people that run the True Cost of Uber campaign in Europe, which call for ride-hailing companies to go 100% clean in large European cities by 2025. Uh, so because there are so many questions about the cost efficiency of an electric vehicle, uh, as part of the campaign, they kind of ran a cost analysis report that found uh, electric vehicles in Europe are actually cheaper to run for ride-hailing drivers than regular internal combustion engine cars, uh, which I think goes against current thinking. People normally look at an electric car and think, oh my God, when am I going to charge it? How much mm. are they going to charge me for the electricity tariffs and all that, right? Mm. Uh, so their study focused on 400,000 journeys on battery EVs, almost 120,000 journeys in a regular car and 15,000 in a plug-in hybrid vehicle. And the findings, in terms of the findings, uh, I want to quote this because I hate consultancy speak, how they make something so simple into something so complicated. I mean, we have <laughs> Daniel Fernandez, the guy with the, the wonderful voice. Maybe he should read it in his uh, corporate voice. <laughs> no, no, no. Let, let Arif carry on. I'll, I'll come in later. <laughs> anyway, their findings, they said that the potential environmental and emission reduction benefits of replacing a ride-hailing traditional car with an EV are approximately three times higher compared with those of regular vehicle usage in California. And on emissions alone, this was the most pessimistic scenario. In English, what they're trying to say is that EVs are potentially three times cleaner than the internal combustion engines. Yeah, yeah. But um, they also added that medium-sized electric cars are 14% cheaper to run than an equivalent diesel car. And they stress that city authorities, people like DBKL, must do their part to offer incentives and zero emission zones and charging hubs and infrastructure to get people to switch from regular cars to EVs, right? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> well, you see, guys, the thing is, it, we know this EV 
debate has been going on in Malaysia. Yeah. We're far yeah. behind. Indonesia is ahead of us. Thailand, Singapore, don't say they're far ahead of us. Okay. Yeah. Now, if Malaysia wants to do this, you know, of course, now we're already in the eleventh hour. I, I was just thinking, why mm. aren't they insisting that delivery vans, because home shopping and everything else is just blossomed in Malaysia, commercial vehicles, delivery vans have a lifespan. Yep. So you tell all these people, uh, like for example, DHL and FedEx and even Post Malaysia, yeah. when you're going to get a new van, it has to be an EV or a hybrid. And they could offer them incentives. Exactly. Then you, you also offer them incentives. And then, of course, you have these vehicles tax-free and everything else. Because why? The Japanese already have the EV vans running in Japan. They can bring it in. There's no issue. Yep. The Europeans have it. So there's no issue. So it's whether they want to do it or not and whether the incentives are there. Now, of course, all these people are going to say, hey, after a while, I need to stop and charge and then it's going to take time and I cannot do it. Now, this is where Malaysia and also ASEAN has been lagging behind. You will understand what I'm saying, Richard. In Euro, commercial vehicle drivers and ride-hailing drivers can only drive for a certain number of hours, right? Yeah. Like bus drivers, truck drivers. They cannot drive nonstop for 8, 9, 10 hours because they have little devices in their vehicles that tracks how many hours they're driving. And they have to stop and rest so that they are alert. They got proper, you know, mm-hmm. conditions now. In Malaysia, mm-hmm. there's no such ruling. Mm-hmm. So if you initiate this for EV vehicles, the time when they charge, that's the time when they're supposed to rest. Yeah. And and also not to mention that uh, maybe about a month ago, we spoke about this uh, Chinese taxi mm-hmm. group who were experimenting with plug and play batteries, right? Where they go to yes, the station yes. and then they raise the car yeah. up, take the battery and replace it. But you see, that, yeah. that also has another infrastructure cost that's very high. Yeah. Because you've got to set up the stations, you've got to pre-purchase the batteries, you've got to get them charged, you've got to have someone running and all that. But you see, to, to get things moving, you can start with this. Then you can say, okay, all the ride-hailing companies, when it's time to change the vehicles after five years or whatever, you only use EVs. And again, you're forcing the drivers to rest because... I know some drivers are doing 12, 13, 14 hours just to make ends meet. Mm. I know they need the money, but end of the day, this is not healthy. I remember when I was a kid, um, you know, 500 years ago, uh, (laughs) when the the milkman used to come in the morning. Yes. uh, You know, they'd leave like two bottles of milk outside the door. And and they used what was called a milk float back then, a a vehicle, but it was an electric vehicle. Yes. And this must be like 35, you know, almost 40 years ago back then. And they've just disappeared. You know, you don't see them. You don't hear them anymore. You don't um, hear them because they're electric. Well, yes. <laughs> but, you know, just looking back at that saying, yes. you know, we had the rudimentary technology back then. And th- this was a commercial vehicle back then. And it was a smart way of doing things. Look, technology has been around for a long time. It's just whether you want to make it mandatory mm. or not. Is it like, okay, mm. progressive countries are doing it. But in ASEAN, they're not doing it. And, you know, Malaysia could be the first to say, okay, now all commercial vehicles Time for renewal, you go electric. And the, the savings will come in the long term because why? you got less wear and tear, you got less maintenance, you got less servicing costs, yeah. as promised by all the EV companies. So mm. if you get this doing, and then you work with one or two or three big EV commercial vehicle providers, like say maybe you work with Renault and you work with maybe a couple of Chinese brands and you say, okay, listen, you provide this, set a number of vehicles and we'll give you tax-free allowance. And mm. you have some, uh, you invest for every, say, 100 vehicles, you invest in five charging points. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because most of these are going to be in Klang Valley. Can you imagine, for example, uh, and I'm going out on a bit of a limb here and talking about ride hailing as well. Yeah. If somebody like one of the big players in this country, uh, whether it be, you know, a Proton or Paradua, decided to team up with somebody like Grabcar or somebody right. like that, 
and said, look, you know, we, we want to push this out. We know you guys are the biggest players. It makes most sense for you guys to be driving EV vehicles. Yes. You know, let's partner up. Let's do something with this. Something like that would be groundbreaking for Asia, you know, just seeing that. Actually, you don't even have to go full EV. You can start with just hybrid cars, you know? Yeah. And then move up because why? Okay, you have the cost factor and all that. I'm just giving some ideas because why? If you want to go full EV, then you're going to say, oh, you know, when you run on the juicer, maybe we're only driving for four hours. We need a little bit more time. Okay, then you start with plug-in hybrid. But you have to start somewhere. And trying to get a person like me, Arif, or yourself, Richard, to go into an EV car is mm. going to take a long time because we are like thinking, mm, do we really need to do that? You know? Mm. I'm happy with my my current car. You know, I've, I've invested in it in the last two years. But when you're talking about people in commercial and ride hailing, there's no emotional appeal. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, they've absolutely. got a lifespan. So the moment the lifespan is up, pop, get into an EV and do it. And you can do the same thing with uh, delivery riders. You know, you can tell the delivery riders, okay, if you want to become a delivery rider, get yourself an electric motorcycle. And then you force them to also rest because a lot of them are doing 10, 11, 12 hours on the road. And that is why there are so many accidents and so many near deaths. True. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the idea of uh, a fully electric vehicle. The, the, there's two things that are holding me back. Uh, one is the range anxiety. Mm. Um, although for me, that's less of an issue because I'm not driving up to Cameron or anything like that regularly. Right. And two is the charging points. You know, right. If there were regular charging points throughout the Klang Valley, I would have zero problem in looking at purchasing one of these. You know, right. But that's the other thing. They're not cheap, are they? That's yeah. still the big issue. That is the main problem that I think a lot of people are, are talking about. Even recently, what's been happening in the UK is that the UK Prime Minister's climate spokesperson, person who's supposed to you know promote clean energy, she herself mm. drives a diesel Volkswagen Golf because of range anxiety. And she mm. doesn't want to move to an EV mainly because of that. Mm. And this started sort of like a debate because... Technically, if you live in a country where the government is competent, proactive about all of these things and, you know, equipping their power grid with the necessary power and the infrastructure to electrify an entire country or an entire city, um, that would be possible, you know, to set up lampposts with charging ports and all this stuff. But the truth is, mm. I think a lot of British people are, are looking, is there are so many small counties with not a lot of money to invest in those things. Mm-hmm. Um, usually the power grids are something from the 1960s. Yep. It would be impossible and hugely expensive for the consumer to set up their own you know, charging station in the countryside. And they're starting to see that you know, maybe battery electric vehicles might not be the future. Maybe the future might be with hydrogen vehicles. Ah. And you know, obviously with hydrogen vehicles, you don't have range anxiety. You don't really have to set up a huge amount of infrastructure. The infrastructure is almost the same as how you would process and handle uh, regular fuels. Uh, maybe slightly more volatile with hydrogens, but that's something that, you know, the, the infrastructure is already there. It just has to be readapted rather than build something entirely new. Mm. So we're starting to see that sort of split in, in, in the automotive industry as well, right? Because we're seeing Toyota introducing the Mirai. We've got the Hyundai Nexo. Um, which is a hydrogen car as well. BMW is also pushing hydrogen. Yes, BMW is actually working very closely with Toyota on the hydrogen technology. Yeah. And uh, recently, uh, a company in um, Australia took a diesel pickup truck, which is a Ford Ranger, and made it hydrogen power. And they're already talking about bringing it to Indonesia, Thailand, and Malaysia because these pickup trucks are popular in this part of the world. Mm. So they want to bring it here and start promoting it. But again, you see, there are no hydrogen refueling stations in Peninsula Malaysia. 
Thailand they have, Indonesia I think they're slowly rolling out, but they do have in Sarawak. Oh, huh? do they? They do have in Sarawak. Not many, they have a couple and the Nexo, the Hyundai Nexo has already been on test there. There's also been a couple of China-made uh, public buses on test there, hydrogen power. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so this Ford Ranger, uh, hydrogen-powered Ford Ranger, which is called the H2X Warago, could make its way to Sarawak, which makes a lot of sense because there they love pickup trucks. Mm. And you could see a sudden boom there because for them to put up the infrastructure is not difficult because Sarawak has got the money. Mm. Yep. And they got their own um, uh, hydrogen power, you know? Mm. Yep. So, if I'm not mistaken, the Sarawak government or the lo- one of the local governments over there have experimented with EVs for quite some time since like 2010, right? Yes, the chief minister who's been very proactive about it, the current yeah. chief minister and some other ministers there, uh, they actually went and bought a couple of Nexos. They've been running it around. So, you know, you never know. It might actually happen in Sarawak. Yeah. That's very interesting. Mm. So currently, I think the world, it's, it's too early to hedge bets on whether, you know, the future will be battery or hydrogen powered, but it's definitely both. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's okay to go both. It's just like, you know, combustion engine, you've got petrol and diesel for many years, you know? Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, you can have both running. Um, yep. you, you give an option to consumers, which you want, which you prefer. Yep. And uh, those who just do a lot of inner city commuting, okay, they buy an electric car. Like, for example, like Richard, he doesn't commute much out of Klang Valley, right? Mm. So he gets an electric car. Um, someone like Arif, maybe you like to go on your long holidays, fishing trips, whatever. Okay, you get yourself a hydrogen vehicle. You know, mm. you can offer that. You know, we'll soon be having discussions about whether or not we're looking at hydrogen or uh, electric or uh, plug-in hybrid flying cars next. That's going to be the next uh, <laughs> yes, set of discussions. Yes, yes. That's all coming as well. So we, you know, we've got plenty of material lined up for this show over the next couple of years. So it shouldn't be anything to worry about. Um, let's take a short break. I think we've still got a car review to get through yet. Yeah? Yes. Yep. When we come back, folks, we'll be sitting down and having a big old chat about the Volkswagen Passat 1.8 TSI Used Buyer's Guide. Don't go anywhere. This is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM 89.9. Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. This is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM. I'm joined as usual by Arif Ruse, the man with the news, and Daniel Fernandez from dsf.my. Welcome back, gents. Hello, and welcome back also. Hello. Um, so it appears we're going to be having a bit of a chat about uh, most English salesmen's second favorite car, the <laughs> Volkswagen Passat 1.8 TSI. Um, yes. Who's buying a Passat? Who wants to buy a Passat? Okay. This one, no one came to me. No one asked me for advice. <laughs> nothing, like nothing like that. Okay. Everybody's done already. They run out of money. But... You know, I've been following on Facebook and and seeing what people are talking about. And, you know, suddenly there was this chatter about, you know, how cheap this car is right now. And, you know, should it be a good third car or second car? And then, you know, chatter. Nobody was asking to buy. So I started doing a bit of research on actually how cheap it is. And then actually it was quite surprising because this is the Passat 1.8 TSI, which was actually launched way back in 2011, 10 years ago. 
Now, one year after it was launched, when it was launched, it was launched as a fully imported car. And that was when Volkswagen Group Malaysia had an office here. Of course, now they've closed and now you have Volkswagen Passenger Car, which is a dealer. So at that time when they launched it, it was 184000 And its nearest competitor, which was, was lower price, was the Camry and Honda Accord and Mazda 6. Yep. Now, the other European brands were, I mean, the German brands were slightly more. So it was priced very close to it, the equivalent Volvo or the equivalent Peugeot or the equivalent Renault. Yep. Now, of course, the Peugeot and Renaults were, were not that popular at the time. The Koreans were not doing so well also. So it, everyone compared this to a Honda Accord or a Mazda 6 or a Toyota Camry. Mm. Now, immediately when you compare with this car, this is the only car with a turbocharged engine. And that means you get much better power, very good torque, and you got that so-called European ride and handling, right? Yep. So 184,000 people got excited. A lot of people started buying. It was selling well. So Volkswagen Group decided, let's local assemble it to get a better price and better tax incentive. So one year later, less than a year, in 2012, they launched the local assemble version, which had all the same kit plus one or two extra things for 169,000 ringgit. You know, that's a good 15,000 ringgit discount. And it did well. And the Japanese and Koreans were a little bit upset because hey, you're taking away my market share, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you got into this car, you'll understand. It, it's not the most handsome looking car. It's, it's, it's a good looking car. Nice chisel sides and all that. But it's the interior. You know, it's very business-like. It's, it's black on black. <laughs> it's got nice trim on it, you know. 50 shades of grey, literally. <laughs> and um, it's got a lot of space. It's got a lot of space. I mean... Richard's height can be driving the car. My pot belly and my size will still go into the back seat, no issue, you know. Mm. So it's a big family car. It's a big business vehicle. It's nice size, you know, 1.8 engine. Everything he had everything going for it. And then came all the issues, lah. You know, after sales, part, gearbox, lah, got problem. This problem. Now this car is about 1.5 tons. It does 160 PS and 250 Newton meters torque. But like we've we've talked about Volkswagens before, their engines feel faster than claimed. Yep. Instant power. When you test drive a car like this, even though people tell you, hey, brother, you better watch on. After sales, a bit of problem, huh? you know, reliably. Hey, no, la, but the car very fast. La. The car damn smooth. La. The car damn big. La. So they buy and they buy and they buy. And the cars were breaking down. Many, many issues cropped up. And the thing is, I found, I mean, I know of the issues, but I found most of this, I think 90% of these issues online. And when I did a bit of research, you know, things like the rear wheel sensor will start failing. This means your ESP, ABS, and traction control warning lights will come on. So this is when people started going on Facebook and saying, oh, my dashboard is lighting up like a Christmas tree, Christmas tree, because all the warning lights are on. Mm. But it can still drive the car. Then comes the next issue, rattling dashboards. Now, a lot of people say, oh, rattling dashboard is bad bit quality. But sometimes you also got to think, rattling dashboard could be bad road quality, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially if you're driving them so much and you're, you're on the sales force or something. Yes, yes. Yeah. You're yes. running around KL, you know, yeah. all the potholes, the speed bumps and everything else. And then, of course, you know, because your car is quick, you tend to go faster over all these things. It'll start to rattle. It doesn't mean that all the rest don't rattle. All the other brands are also having the same problem. Then the very common TSI engine problem, which we, we talked about before with the Golf GTI and the Passat CC and the Polo and the Audi, um, uh, you know, Q5 and the Audi A4, all, all the, 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 the models that use the TSI engines, they all consume oil. Mm. Yep. 
where does it go i don't know <laughs> you know it seems to have an appetite for oil so you know if you if you service a car and you use a 4 liter bottle there's a good chance you better buy two bottles because why the second 4 liter bottle will be topping up every few months so this is what a lot of owners were doing mm. even myself because i drive a, a, a older golf mark 5 has the same problem you know mm. so that is one issue which you got to look at no matter what the age of the car is it's just the way the engine is and you can talk to Audi owners even if you talk to Skoda owners the, the few of them are using it in Malaysia they have the same problem then the other issue was the ignition coil does not last needs replacing every 2 years thermostat housing does not last replace every 2 years water pump another thing that does not last now this, this all these little wear and tear problems uh is all up to you know part suppliers if you got a part supplier that's not giving you a quality part of course it's not going to last and then there's cost involved because there's labor and everything else so of course owners got a little bit irritated because most passat owners are people who have come from japanese or korean cars yep okay and we know that these cars first 4 5 6 years parts like this don't go unless it's really really unusual so mm. they get shocked like you know why is it going off but because there's a warranty you think okay fine i'm i'm getting the parts replaced but what happens after the the warranty and initially when these cars were sold it was not um a factory warranty for 5 years it was 2 years factory 3 years insurance warranty mm. oh uh, so the insurance was a local insurance company so under factory warranty the part is completely exchangeable you you bring in a faulty part you give another part but when it's insurance they'll, they'll they'll send someone to check and say hey last time you already changed right why are you changing again mm. and then th- there'll be some debate now while the debate is going on your car is stuck at the workshop you know so what happens the consumer goes and shouts at the service advisor and the mechanic now it's not the service advisor's fault it's not the mechanic's fault because why they haven't got the approval from the insurance company to change the part Yeah. Okay. Then of course people go on social media and say, "Oh, you know, it's rubbish. The the dealer is rubbish. The dealer is wrong." Now, this is why over the last many years a lot of Volkswagen dealers closed down. This and many other reasons, but this was one of the biggest reasons because why? You you couldn't keep your staff. The staff were getting fed up because people were coming and screaming at them. Yeah. So it was all down to a terrible decision in terms of providing the warranty. Yeah, and then also is you know, have you trained your service advisor to attend to these customers? Now, some service advisors will sit down and talk to the customer and say, "Listen, you know, we're claiming insurance warranty." And then the customer, "What what what do you mean insurance warranty? It says the manufacturer's warranty." Yeah, 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 but actually 2 years comes from the manufacturer, 3 years from the insurance company. Mm. These kind of things a lot of people don't understand and they don't want to understand because I bought the car just get it fixed, you know? Yeah. So this is a compounded problem and you know it anyway so now today this car which started off at 184000 and went down to 169 when it was CKD is going in the used car market for between 25 to 35000 ringgit wow that's hilariously cheap this is great value so this is why <laughs> there was a lot of social media chatter you know yeah because even if you buy a 10 year old myvi it's still more expensive than this yeah <laughs> and you and you see the thing is with cars like this if it's already now 10 years think about it the previous owner or owners have done all the problems have sorted all the problems wasn't there a huge issue with the uh, direct shift gearbox as well i'm glad you brought that up <laughs> 
I didn't want to bring it up. <laughs> the reason I bring it up is because I, my cousin, who is a, uh, for want of a better phrase, a used car salesman, um, right. I think he had his DSG replaced four or five times in the three years that he owned one. Oh, my God. Not surprising, Richard, because you see, even until a few years ago, DSG gearboxes were just failing. Okay? Right. My brother-in-law had his DSG on his Golf TSI changed twice in five years. Wow. And he just drove to work and back, work and back. Mm. He never mm. went out station. He, he never even went to the airport. <laughs> mm. You know? So this is the problem. It was just a, a badly designed first generation gearbox, then the second generation. And of course, by the third de- generation, they had fixed it. But what really happened is from my investigation, and which means talking to some previous owners and also talking to some people who have left their after sales of certain dealerships, they said, Actually, the first gearbox failed, they changed to a second one. But they didn't actually change the second one because it was too expensive. The dealerships fixed the problem and gave it back to the customer mm. and told them, hey, change already. Yep. Mm. Because at that time, they were not getting the replacement gearbox coming in from Europe. I should add that at that time, also, Volkswagen in Germany were trying their best to put out all the fires caused by this DSG gearbox around yeah. the world. Exactly. Yeah. And then also there were issues with the TSI engines and everything else, especially with the 1.4 yep. TSI engines, which is the Jetta and the, the Golf 1.4. And then there was Dieselgate. <laughs> and there was Dieselgate. So, oh dear, oh dear. Yeah, so of course, some people got a full gearbox chain, but actually some just got a, a simple quick fix and they go out. And then what happens is they drive it for another few months and it, it fails. And how does it fail? It either will not shift or it will not go out of reverse. So imagine now, it, and it happened to my brother-in-law, he parked the car and then he couldn't get out of the car park because he couldn't go into reverse. Oh, damn. Another friend of mine went to a house party, parked the car. He was blocking a few people. When he came out at night, he couldn't get into reverse. So the whole party had to extend. (laughs) No one was really complaining. But (laughs) things like this happened. And then, you know, uh, I remember one guy putting on social media, uh, his car was three years old. This is just a few months ago. He went up to Fraser's Hill. In between the lockdown, there was a break and they all went on holiday to Fraser's Hill. A whole bunch of them went and they parked the cars. And his car was the last car to be parked. So he's blocking everybody, right? Mm. So the next morning, everybody wants to leave. His car will not move. And they can't push it. They can't move it. And he's blocking everybody. So what happens is that they call a tow truck. Now, the tow truck takes ages to come all the way up to Fraser's <laughs> Hill. So everybody had to stay there for a few hours to wait for his car to move. So things like this generated a lot of anger with owners. Understandably. So that's a more modern Passat, the, the B8. But this B7 now, because of all these historical problems... And because a lot of people have already put on social media all the issues, the prices have dropped. And when I called up one used car dealer that was advertising it for 28,000 ringgit, a 2012 model, he put that light on low mileage, this, that, everything, you know, it sounded wonderful. As the conversation went on, he went down to 25. And I said, listen, it's now locked down. I really can't see the car. He said, no, I can do virtual for you. I'll, I'll take my Facebook live and do for you or I do on the phone and all that. I said, no, la, I'm, I'm worried about Volkswagen. He said, okay, lah. Don't talk anymore, 22. <laughs> because why? For the dealers as well, some of them are scared. You see, some of them take these cars in as, as trade-in. Yeah. So when they take a trade-in, of course, they would have taken it much lower. But they're scared to hold because why? Two or three days down the line, if they go and start the car just to show a customer, suddenly the car won't start out or the gear won't shift. Mm. And then they are, they are in for even a bigger problem. So they want to turn around these cars as fast as problem. Some of them, I think they even say like, you know, I don't want to make any money. If I can just break even, I just want the car to go out. Yeah. So if you actually start I mean, if, if you are able to drive around within your community and if you see used car dealers, 
Very few used car dealers are actually holding this car. And that is the biggest problem. But the price is so reasonable. And if you have a full service record available, this is what I'm saying. If the full service record is available, showing that the gearbox has been changed twice. And if you can check the gearbox to see that it's working fine, and if the engine has got low mileage on it, which is confirming with the service schedule. Because if, you, if you've got a service schedule for over 10 years, you know when the car was serviced, you can see the mileage recorded. Mm. And if you're getting the car for 25000 or 22000 by all means, take it, you know? Yeah. Because all the problems have been fixed by the previous owners. They've gone through all the headache. They've gone through all the anxiety and everything else. You're getting this nice big sedan, good power, still looks pretty fresh on the road. You know, it doesn't look dated. And you're getting it for 21, 22, 23,000 ringgit. How much more can it lose over the next five years? Good point. Couple of questions. Just now you said uh, Volkswagen Group Malaysia is now closed, right? And usually we would say when we're reviewing these used cars that try and get these inspected and certified by the dealers. Right. Would you be able to still do that with one of these cars? Oh, yeah. There are still dealers open, but... You know, over the years, because there were so many of these cars sold, you know, whether it's the Passat or the Golf TSI or even the Touareg, the Touran, the Tiguan and all that, the older, older Tiguan I'm talking about, yeah. there are a lot of competent mechanics out there who have managed to figure out the problems. Like my mechanic, he has figured out all the problems with, with TSI engines and, and DSG gearboxes. Hmm. You know, I've met another mechanic in Old Clang Road. I've not used him, but I met this guy, two brothers. Both of them had, one had a Jetta, the other one had a, a Golf TSI. After their cars broke down, they figured it out and they have fixed their problems. And now they are fixing other people's problems for very little money. Hmm. So it's no longer a need to go back to the dealership. And parts, you can buy parts online. You can buy parts via Singapore. There are plenty of parts suppliers out there. In fact, my regular parts supplier for my Volkswagen, he does Volkswagen, Audi and Porsche parts. He's got all the parts readily available. He can fly them in or he can ship it in. No problem. Mm. So if you're buying this car second hand, don't worry about parts. Don't worry about fixing it. You just need to know where to go. And you can contact dsf.my. We have advised people to go to the right mechanics as long as in Clang Valley. Outside of Clang Valley, we're not very knowledgeable in terms of who to go in Sila, you know? What about the fact that, you know, the car was an import and then suddenly it was localized? Was there any difference in like reliability or spec? I think when it came to local assembly, it was just, you know, putting the same pieces together, that's all. And maybe paint quality, but I could never spot really that much of it. Yeah, you know, a little bit of panel gap here and there. But you're buying a car for 20,000 ringgit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> this is probably the most modern car you can get yes. for, uh, for 20, 25,000. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, if you're so particular about local assembly and, and, and uh, imported, here's the best part. The imported version, which is one year older, right? Yeah. Mm. In the used car market, it's also cheap. <laughs> <laughs> so then just go and get an imported one. I mean, there's, there's still a couple out there for sale. But the local assembly one, 2012 to 2015, so many in the market for sale. So many, you know, so you, 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 you got your pick of the choice. You can take your time. You know, if the, if the dealer doesn't want to show you a service history, try and find a private owner that's selling. 90% are dealers selling. Only about 10% are private owners. If you see a private owner, is better. You can go and talk to the person, discuss with him, you know, see his history. He'll tell you, hey, brother, you know, I had a small Nokia. You know, I changed the gearbox three times. You know, I went to this workshop, blah, blah, blah. Okay, lah, you know. But at least they're being honest, right? Yes, yes. I think, I think this is a really good value buy because why? The previous owners have gone through all the headache for you. All right. Shall we wrap up, gentlemen? Yes. 
On that note, it is the end of this week's show. If you're only just tuning in, of course, you have missed the show. Shame on you. But you can download the podcast and have a listen back at your leisure. It's available via the BFM app, which is available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. Uh, the show is in three parts. We've spoken a little bit about Michael Schumacher and Aston Martin Valhalla. The Porsche 911 Heritage Edition and a Mercedes-Benz E-Class had a bit of a pit stop where we spoke about electric vehicles and things. And then, of course, wrapped up there with the used car review, the 2011 Volkswagen Passat 1.8 TSI. My name is Rich Bradbury. On behalf of Arif Ruse and Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my, this has been Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.